0: This episode of the React Podcast is brought to you by reacttraining.com. In person, hands on training for development teams from React community leaders and experts. Visit reacttraining.com to learn more. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the React podcast. I am your host, Michael Jackson, and I'm joined by a very special guest with me here today, Mr. James Long.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Michael.
0: Yeah, yeah, no worries. Uh, we also have two uh, awesome friends of mine and, uh, you know, Anybody who's been listening to the React podcast for any amount of time will already know both of these guys uh, because they were on the previous iteration of this podcast, but I want to welcome them back to the show on this episode and and possibly on future episodes. We're not
2: 100% sure how it's going to work yet, but... Uh, Mr. Michael Chan, how's it going? Oh, sorry, no, I just jumped right in there. I was just so eager to get back on the podcast.
0: <laughs> and Mr. Jed Watson, hey everyone, it was really nice to be back. Awesome, I'm super stoked that uh, Michael and Jed are going to join me on this podcast today. Uh, they're longtime friends of mine, and uh, and people whose whose opinions I really really value and respect uh, when it comes to React, especially so. Without any further ado, we wanted to talk about James's uh, project today. So James, um, if you, in case you don't know James, uh, he is actually one of the guys who first introduced me to React. Uh, I don't know if uh, either of uh, you guys, Michael or, or Jed, remember uh, the post that James wrote about uh, rethinking um, UI Uh, He talked about, he was doing like a a list and he was, he was doing like a, uh, like a windowed uh, list um, in React. And he did it using this little library that he called bloop. Does that that sound familiar to either of you guys?
3: I actually, I remember quite a few really influential articles back around the time of that first React Conf. Yeah. Um, I don't remember library called Blue.
0: No, it was just
2: his like made up thing just for that post. I I do remember that one. I don't remember. More vivid in my memory is the one. um, It was like you kind of like scroll through and there was like a whole bunch of different React examples that kind of incrementally taught you about yeah, that's, react.
1: it's it's the same one yeah that, that's all just one long massive post yep.
2: oh i just skipped over the bloop
1: part then <laughs> yeah no all of those use my own that like all of those used bloop they didn't even use react that was kind of the cool idea about it
0: yeah and he had like his own timer or anything but anyway to, to get to get to you know to, to not get too far into that but but uh, james has been writing about react for a long time uh he's done a lot of work with react at um Previously, you were at Mozilla, right? Where you wrote a bunch of the Firefox DevTools in React. Is that right?
1: Yep, that's right. I kind of spearheaded an effort to uh, use React and convert because we we weren't using React when I started DevTools and I helped kind of start migration onto React and, and help get that going. And
0: uh, since then, let's see, he has moved on and he is now working on building his own uh, budgeting software, working on a, a, a budgeting app called Actual. That is, I believe, in beta right now, right, James?
1: Uh, yes, I'm calling it a a private beta, which is pretty silly because I'm about to tell everybody how to download it. <laughs> um, but it's it's sort of just because like I'm I'm rolling it out pretty slowly, just as as I'm learning, and also um, I'm getting more more. More feedback than I really want right now. Um, there's a, I'm already getting a lot of stuff that's uh, ha- like helping me me do it. So I'll do like a, a real launch. Um, that's that's still probably a beta in probably about a month or so.
0: Well, huge congrats for um, making that transition. By the way, that's uh, that's kind of a like you, you're essentially making this transition from like developer to developer slash marketer slash product guy slash like business owners, like, you know, everything, right? Is that, how's that going?
1: Uh, it's going, it's going well. Um, it's definitely ex- pretty time consuming. Um, I, I'm sort of thinking about ways to, to help with that. Like I would love to have some other people involved. I just don't really know how to figure that out yet. Um, nobody that uh, I thought would be a good fit was interested in, 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 in um, helping so far. But in, in general, I it's, that's kind of why uh, that, that's what was so enticing about it to me, um, is that it would challenge me in, in, in other ways. I'm still very interested in tech. Uh, but the, the real, like being thrown into the deep end of the pool, you know, no idea what you're doing. You're going to drown if you don't figure something out in like the next couple of weeks, like that, that feeling's kind of gone from tech. Um, for me, there's still like a a crap ton that I could learn and and be thrown into the deep end of like AI or machine learning. I don't know anything about it. Um, but I think I've been looking for more of a like, man, I just love this. Like how do I market this? How do I get people, how do I sell this idea? Um, and it's been really fun to, to like, just figure out all this stuff that's that's very, very different from, Front tech.
0: I think Jed could probably speak a lot to that as well. Jed, uh, for those of you who may not know, runs his own uh I guess how would you say consulting company in Australia and Sydney, Australia called Thinkmill. Um, you at some point had to make that a similar transition, right?
3: Yeah, we call it a development consultancy because I haven't found a better word for it. Um it's kind of like I really try and avoid the word agency because no one likes agencies, but it's kind of, you know, we, we people pay us to do things and we do it for them. We do it really well. Uh, but we put a lot of time into open source and it's all kind of driven by the tech that we're using and the products that we create rather than, you know, um, I don't know, something more businesslike. We, we kind of had this idea that we wanted to create products and the best way to do that without doing a lot of the stuff that uh, James was talking about was to team up with other people. Um, it's kind of cool cause we get to work on a lot of different ones, but we actually have, uh, the, a lot of the team here have gone through the startup thing before. Like we had an idea, we got funding, we ran out of funding.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's more than one way to, to run a startup, right? You can get... Get funding. You bootstrap it. Uh, James is is bootstrapping his thing up to this point. I think, which is super cool. I'm I'm actually doing something similar with like a crypto app that I'm working
3: on. Anyway, so I'm I'm super curious, James. Just you were talking about being thrown in the deep end of all these um, all these new things that sort of tech isn't challenging you as much in the same way anymore. And I'm curious to know what you think about the idea that uh, like what in in your life as a developer, or the way that you approach problems technically, has kind of prepared you for this because I sort of find this to be quite an interesting idea. Where I solve problems one way in when I'm programming, and then I've realised that there's sometimes I solve problems using a similar thought process when I'm dealing with a business or marketing or explaining something.
1: I feel like it's a little too early for me because uh, I'm still at the point where I just don't have the intuition about the right way to, to market things or to. to to run a business, I feel like that's, that's kind of the first thing that you get when you learn something. Like when the first time, if you're trying to do a hobby, like how to make a, like how to do woodworking, um, you have just no idea what you're doing. And so you make cuts that are like horrible. Whereas like, once you do it the first time, then you're like, you have a little bit of an intuition. It's like, Oh, I see. Um, I, I don't know if I'm even doing it right so so far. I haven't even gotten that for past that first, like, um, that phase, but I, I approach it um, I do approach it pretty methodically cause I am a, I am a developer. Um, I do, you know, break things up into small pieces. I probably get that from development. Um, things that things can be overwhelming. I think that's probably, that's probably the main thing is that things can definitely be really overwhelming, especially when you're doing this yourself, just like one person, leveraging, um, leveraging, um, Techniques to, to break up problems and be like, all right, let's just, like, get one step done, get that done this week. And then, like, you make progress slowly over time. Um, also, just, like, working with people, um, and this is probably just in the tech world. I don't know. It's not specifically in tech, but really just like, in if it's, if it's with anything, like people will help you out and you can ask them questions and you can do that. And I guess I've learned that some from open source. I've learned that some from working at Mozilla. There's just a bunch of people around me that I could ask questions for.
0: I was going to say op- open source teaches you a lot about working with other people, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, being collaborative and like, it's, it's messy and it's, it's hard a lot of times, but it really does um it just help a lot
0: so so let me ask you this so how did you decide on uh actual how did you decide on building some budgeting software is 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 uh finances you know personal finance is that something you've been passionate about for a while now
1: um yeah i think for for a while um, probably around four or five years ago i just i got sick and tired of not really knowing what's going on with my finances and so i just i tried a couple ways to budget and none of it really clicked with me and i just got kind of frustrated about um like like why is why isn't this working like why can't i why can't i learn this um and so it sort of became you know something that i was originally i was like i'm building this for me which is i think um a pretty a pretty powerful thing because like i am very invested in this um personally it's something that i use every day and so I I just learning from that experience about it, it took me like so long to really learn how to look at a budget and be like, make a decision. Can I buy this thing at the store? Um, how to go how to go from, from A to B to have a budget to making those decisions um, was a very long process for me for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and I think that made me like while I was going throughout that process, I was talking to friends, I was talking to people. Um, and I, 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 w- I started just building it for me, but over and over, like over time, over several years, I just kept talking to people that were just like very lukewarm about their their solution for, for managing finances. And so it's just something that kept coming back um, over and over again. And I, I've i always wanted to build something. I've always wanted to do a product to, like just with me or just just with a couple people. people. Um, and so that sort of, Formed in my mind, uh, just it seems like a problem that might have us might might have room for another app. It's definitely a crowded market, but it's such a huge market that there's definitely room for um, lots of lots of apps. So I'm not looking to make millions, you know. I'm just hoping uh, that I can get something going.
2: So I'm I'm super into personal finance as well, and I'm and I have also had a really hard time. Uh, trying to find a product that that worked and felt right and matched my mental model of money. Um, what would you say like the failing of the other software that you've used was and kind of the the um, the key difference that you infused into your your app actual?
1: I would say the first thing is, is that it's just um, that the UI design is just super overcomplicated in so many of the apps out there. Um, I mean, you look at some of the screenshots of these apps and there's like 50 numbers on the screen like on just any arbitrary page right um i mean that's a little bit of an exaggeration but like the simplest question that you want to answer is is what i just said right what is my finances right now should i buy this thing that's 200 dollars? like can i buy this ps4 like how much is that going to hurt me and like even though i was using like mint and, and other systems for like months i just felt like i could never really understand why and I can't like I'm not entirely sure why but I think part of it is just the UI design just doesn't show you that one number right budgeting is semi-complicated inherently Um, so even if you see like a list of categories and numbers by those categories the the UI needs to teach you how to interpret that data Um, it can't just throw everything at you uh in a really complex way. And so that's sort of the philosophy in actual, which is like the UI is like extremely stripped down, it's supposed to be extremely simple. And it's not supposed to be intimidating, uh, which encourages you to, to kind of learn where those numbers came from. Um, and that goes into my second point, which is it doesn't really I felt like none of them were actually teaching me. Um, none of them were telling me how they came up with this number. They would say your account balance, the forecast of it in three months is going to be $50. Uh, well, how did you get that number? I have no idea if that's, if that's accurate, right? Like maybe you're basing it on like a really weird month that I had last month um, for that category, uh, which is usually the case, right? So I feel like they didn't really explain how they got those numbers, which is like, it's just pointless to me. Like, because then I can't actually uh, know how accurate that number is. Because if you're, if you're operating on bad data, then the whole thing's pointless.
0: Yeah, what you really want to know is, and I love that how it's built into the name, right? Is how much... How much money do I actually have? What, can I make this purchase or can I not? I don't need a calculator. I need something to kind of inform decisions, right? I don't need a balance tracker. I need something that, uh, you know, helps me to learn how to spend my money, uh, essentially, how to allocate the resources that I've got.
1: Yeah. And um, so in in actual, the way that that manifested Um, at some point throughout this process, I learned about this thing called like zero based budgeting or envelope budgeting. That's what people call it. Um, and that's like, I thought it was like too complicated at first, but there is a way to do it, which, which really, um, resonated with me, which is like, basically you have all these accounts, you have $5,000 distributed amongst those accounts, but you still have $5,000. That's the cash you have right now. The envelope based budgeting, and you can do this like in an app, you don't have to use cash envelopes, which is how it actually started, um, you distribute those money into those categories and it, it, it basically represents cash that you have right now. And that's what answers the question. You have this money right now. Um, you can have other money coming in somewhere else and represent that somewhere else in the app. But when you see that fund in the category, that means you actually literally have that cash to spend. You can go into the budgets, change the number and see how it propagates out right into the next month because it actually rolls over. Um, so that's how it manifested itself in, into the app. And I, I, I do want to say one last thing. Different people budget differently. It's 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 so funny to me how many ways different people budget. I mean, I don't know if every single person budgets the same way. Even if they use the same app, they use it differently. Um, so if you're not into zero-based budgeting, I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not trying to say, like, you're a bad your budget's, you know, bad if you, if you do it somewhere, that's totally cool. But, uh, it's something that, that at least resonated with me and I know resonates with a lot of other people.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. I would agree with you. There's Z- zero based budgeting before I started using uh zero based budgeting for me. Uh, it, it was really just like buckets, right? Like, okay, I know I have this much in this bucket and I've got that much in that bucket, but I don't know what everything in that other bucket is for, Right. So zero-based budgeting really forces you to, for example, take a look at your savings account and allocate that money for something. What is it for? Why, why are you saving money? What is it for? Maybe you're gonna do a down payment on a house. Maybe you're gonna down payment on a car. Maybe, you know, you 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 need to you're saving that for for college or or for whatever sort of thing in the future. But it, it forces you to kind of go down to zero uh so that every dollar uh has a job. You know, every dollar is is sort of allocated. So um, so I think it's super powerful, Well, let's, let's talk, let's get on to talking about, uh, I mean, this isn't a personal finance podcast. This is a react podcast. Gosh, darn it. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about a little bit of the way you're, you're building this. So you chose Electron, which is no doubt the de facto for, uh, people who are building, uh, desktop apps these days. Even, even I think, uh, you know, people have been building some really interesting apps with, uh, with Electron. There's Guillermo Rauch has been building, uh, that terminal, uh, what does he call it? Hyper with Electron. Uh, when I, when I saw that, I was like, Oh wow, I guess you can really build anything you want with Electron. Um, so how's that been going, uh, with React and Electron? Uh, have you found that to be a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good pair?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it took a while to figure out, figure out how to set everything up. Um, like, you know, there's just, there's so many little, cuts and and things here and there that um, if you don't, if you're not used to to native apps or um, yeah, like if you're just not used to just throwing some HTML in a browser, um, you do kind of have to learn how to set things up appropriately. Uh, But like you have to manage manage the different processes and stuff like that. Um, But generally speaking, like that was just part of the learning process. Um, And like, I mean, it's gone super well. I would definitely i would definitely do it again um people love to bash electron but like do they
0: i haven't i haven't seen that are people bashing electron i mean what 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 on earth are you going to use if you're not using electron
1: they they bash the memory usage and the, the the download like it's like 170 megs to download my app which is which is ridiculous because like there's probably a ton of stuff in chromium like video pl- i don't have any videos on in actual there's probably like 10 megs of code you know for videos um which is, I I would love to see more more work towards that. But like, yeah, I mean, seriously, it's really not that much to download, and it, um, if you're careful with RAM, it's not that it's not that bad. Uh, but I like I pointed um, Electron, I think it's builder or packager. There's actually two of them. Um, I pointed it to my app, and I like told it to sign my app, told it to um, make the right parts so that it, so that it can auto update. And then I like threw up an auto update server, and you've got an app that's signed. Um, can auto update that like is instantly. Amazing. And I mean, it's just amazing. I did that in like four hours.
0: So, so you get, so you get auto updating basically, uh, for free. If you're, if you're using Electron, do you just, do you pull the files down from your server in your production app that you, you deploy?
1: Yes. It checks it. There's a JSON feed that it's pointing to. And when it comes back and when that feed says, Hey, there's an update that feed also gives it the URL to download and then it downloads it um, and automatically applies it. And the user just restarts.
0: Is that something that you set up or is that something, did you use like some deployment script or process that's kind of well known that a lot of people use to deploy their Electron apps?
1: Yeah. So um, I use, I used Hazel, which is um, Zeit's update server um, for the server part. And it's, but it's really even a couple hundred lines of JavaScript. It's really not even that hard. And, And then I use GitHub releases to host the releases. And so it, you know, when you make a release on GitHub, it has, like, you can upload binary attachments. And so I literally drag the entire, like, .dmg and the other files onto GitHub releases when I'm making the release. And then the auto-updater server says, oh, there's a new release on GitHub, and it tells the app, and then the local app just goes off, downloads it.
3: So a little bit of background on where this question is coming from. I actually started an Electron app about four days ago. Um oh, nice. put together a little, little utility, and that was actually before I knew that we'd be talking to you about Electron today. So, this is super convenient for me. I just want to ask you all the questions. Ask away. Yeah, the, the getting started experience is really. I think the hurdle for me was it, it, it's really easy to get an app um, kind of running and booting. And then there are these really cool tools, like you mentioned, for publishing and packaging. And I saw all the GitHub release integration. Uh, getting it to the point, though, where it's actually, I've got my usual React dev loop running was kind of the most challenging thing. There were some really. Intense boilerplates um, that I didn't really want to go all, all in on because then you've got everything from uh, Webpack to Redux to sort of really opinionated kind of choices. And I wanted to understand everything that was going into it. But you know, you can set up an Electron um, like sort of build process uh, that will package everything with Babel. You can um, you can set up you know a Webpack dev server. You've got all these different ways of kind of trying to get back to the normal dev loop of running in the browser. And I was really curious to hear sort of where you started, what you're using now and your progression through that. So
1: I use, I started with create react app because I I really have bought into this um, idea where I don't even touch Webpack anymore. I I love this tool that I can just upgrade. Um, Now aside, I do have my own like JWL scripts so that I actually do have, (laughs) I, I have customized how it compiles stuff. That's an that's another story. But I still love that architecture, right? Like I I can still just rebase my JWL scripts onto Create React app scripts and it's the same thing. Um but anyway, like it's still hosted way outside of my app and I can reuse it on, on other projects. Um but I even I didn't do that until way late in the project. I still use use the default Create React app. I don't remember having too hard of a time. Maybe it's because I, I mean I'm not sure if you're using Create React app or not, but like I like all the Webpack stuff and how to set stuff up. Um it's using Chrome, and so I felt like the complexity of like setting up a React project was pretty pretty much the same as it would have been for the web. Because for Electron, you can uh, for for the longest time I didn't even have, have anything to deploy, so I didn't do any build special Electron building. I just pointed the window to a, in like a local like HTTP localhost, you know, on port three thousand, and developed it like a normal app. Like you like I could have hit that in the browser as well because I wanted to develop it in um, Electron just so that like I was in the environment that I was going to be in. Um, but I don't remember running into a whole lot of problems specifically to setting up like a react project within Electron. I do remember like, yeah, ha- yeah, you have to set like some things and create react apps, on so that it, has the right like prefix on the URLs?
0: Yeah, so create react app just kind of worked out of the box and gave you all the dev stuff you wanted in Electron.
3: Yeah,
1: like, are you using create react app, Jud?
3: I'm not actually. I ended up going with Electron Forge um, to create the kind of like initial boilerplate. It's like a generator. Um, And then it includes the scripts for starting and packaging. It actually looked and felt a lot like create React app for Electron. And then I'm kind of working out how to get in there and set it up. So that comes with Babel. Um, But yeah, honestly, I might be doing it kind of the hard way. I I think part of it, maybe I'm, I'm overcomplicating things in my head because really Chrome is so good these days with JavaScript. Um, You know, I could very happily live without a transpile process except for JsX
0: you're talking to the man the the one man that I know who just like refused to use JsX for the longest time James right right isn't this
1: yeah the first version the first version of the app didn't use JSX yeah I,
0: I gotta respect you for that man I gotta salute you especially with like the way that things are going now with uh with react you know there lots of people are using the you know render props all over the place the JsX can get Kinda of gnarly. I kind of wish we were still using factories. You know,
1: it's it's a toss up. I mean, there's definitely uh, niceties about JSX, but it is true. Like I, I, I found some old code and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't use JSX, and I converted some code I was writing yeah. to not use JSX. I was like, how would this look? Um, and it used like render props, and I was like, this is actually pretty nice. I think I think it's I think JSX still ultimately is just nice enough that it's probably worth it. Because um, if anything, it's just because. I don't think I don't think you can overstate the fact that it looks more like the web. Like it's um, I, I'm a big believer that technology, um, a huge part of how we use technology is, is people and social and collaboration. So to have somebody who looks at this crap that's like function calls, like it's just not as welcoming as looking at stuff that looks like HTML tags, even though we know it's not HTML tags.
0: Absolutely. I'm working on a project right now with uh, with a friend of mine uh, who's, uh, you know, he's a developer, uh, you know, designer. And and I told him, I said, look, if since you're working on the UI, why don't you just do the HTML and the CSS? And then you could just hand that over to me. And how easy is that to convert into a React app? It's like two seconds, right? You just convert all the places he says class into class name, and you're done, and you and you've got a React app. You know,
3: it's kind of funny actually. JSX was the thing that I mean, it will React, and but because of JSX was the thing that got me into having a build process in the first place. This is four or five years ago. I, I didn't really, I'd sort of you know played around with Browserify, and it wasn't, it didn't feel like you know a change to everything, um, and Babel was still. Not even six to five yet. Like that, that didn't really exist. We just had the JSX transformer. Suddenly I needed to get my head around how to actually put a build process in my front-end JavaScript. And it started me on this journey of like understanding, understanding a bundler, being able to use packages that were on NPM, understanding how to you know, actually kind of lean into that whole ecosystem that was developing at the time. And it was really cool. And I used to tell people like, you need to try React, not just because React is awesome, but because it will kind of force you to learn all this other stuff that is really awesome. So, you know, years and years later, we've got Babel. And this is just kind of a given now, I think, for front-end web development for a lot of people. And React was just kind of how I got there. And now it feels like I've come right to the other end of this. And almost all of it is uh, natively supported in Chrome. Um, And everything else is probably going to be soon, except for JSX. And I'm like, Damn it, I still need this build process because I still got I'm like back where I started. Hey, um, so let me ask you about um,
0: let me ask you about you. You were tweeting a couple of weeks ago about um, you had you said you had some really cool like error reporting stuff set up in your app that was uh, yeah, I think you said you were using Sentry, and uh, and and that's honestly something that I haven't ever really dug. Super deep into are you? Are you using any of the new kind of React sixteen component did catch stuff, or did you just kind of uh, you know build up your own kind of thing from scratch? And tell us tell us a little bit about what that's like because I I know that you know you've actually been a developer more than most developers who have ever uh, really worked with or, or known uh, who's talked about error handling. A lot more than than most developers. I still remember the talk that you gave at React Conf in 2015, where you were talking about you know the different models, uh, you know the Promise versus async await, etc. Uh, you know models for doing asynchronous stuff and and how you would handle errors in that situation. So anytime you talk about error reporting, I'm all ears. So uh, so you're pretty excited about the setup that you've got in actual.
1: Um, oh yeah, it's totally blown away by it, and it's probably not totally century specific. Um but it just feels so empowering to have an, an online service. Um I know there's like I think New Relic, it's I think New Relic has a like a much broader like they have they offer all kinds of stuff. I think they do air reporting. Um there's a couple other ones as well, but I, I like Sentry. I like their um I like the way that their UI looks and everything. But um it's so the way that it works is um it's actually not very React specific, to be honest. The React part of it's a little bit boring. So I do I do use component did catch, but I actually there's a couple of places that I probably could use it more specific, um, but I actually only have one at the very top level, and the only reason why I have that is um, kind of because React sixteen sort of forces you to have that because it it crashes if there's a problem in it um, in the UI, right? Which I thought was kind of weird at first, but the, the more I think about it, I was like, that's actually kind of brilliant because the the when the UI is in an in inconsistent state, the user might have not have any idea that a user that an error happened. Um, so what happens in, in actual is if there's a, if there's an, a job error within the react components, it actually crashes. And in production, a nice, like the whole screen goes white and then a nice little like fatal error, um, sort of like a windows blue screen comes up and says like, Oh no, I'm sorry. I, I have no idea what happened, but there's a problem with the UI. You can report it here. Um, like, like email me at hello at actual If you're, if you need somebody to talk to, talk to about it. <laughs> um, so I, I have that like top level catch just to like show something to the user, like, I'm sorry, you have to restart the app.
0: Okay, so you've got one catch all the way up top, and then that's going to report an error... back in uh back in sentry but is that gonna is that gonna give you enough contextual info to know uh, you know what you know what the user was doing when when it was happening are you gonna are you keeping like all of your state in one spot and so you can report all of the state of the app etc
1: sentry takes care of all of that so um that component to catch does for the error to to century Sentry also um installs global error handlers so if like an error happened outside of the ui um all of that go- goes to century um now there's actually remember there's three processes going on here in the desktop app because it's a, a local app so there's also the backend process which is where all the actual heavy lifting works um all of those errors are automatically caught and, and sent to century and then there's this main process which is kind of um controls all of the sub process and there's like an ipc to 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 um, talk to each other, and so there, there's a very, there's very small amount of code in that main process, but it's a very critical code. Um, that's also forward into Sentry. If there's an error that happens anywhere, it's forward in, um, into Sentry, and that error object has enough to give you almost everything. Like it, it gives you the stack, and it's Sentry um, supports source maps, so it'll actually automatically um, source map the whole entire stack for you. So you'll actually see a piece of code in Sentry's UI that says it happened on this line. And that line will be highlighted. And then you'll see the whole stack. And you'll see you know, pieces of code where, it let, where that pieces of the parts of the stack point to. Um, but what's even cooler than that is actually Sentry automatically captures breadcrumbs across the app. So when the URL changes, which you know the user doesn't see the URL um, in, in this native app, but there are actually URL. I'm actually using React Router, Michael. Thank you. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, but it, what's so cool is like when, the, when, when a user clicks on anything in the app um, and when the, when the URL changes, it sends a breadcrumb. Well, it actually saves a local breadcrumb to your computer. So there's this big array of breadcrumbs. And then when a crash happens, it sends like the last 100 breadcrumbs um, to Sentry. So I have this whole list of actions that led up to the error. Um, so I can say, I can see, oh, they navigated to budgets. They, they loaded, um, these like this month and they clicked on this thing. And then this really obscure error happened. But because I know the exact order of operations that, that led up to that error, it's phenomenal. It adds this whole amount of context, um, to it that, I've almost never had to follow up with users themselves to figure out bugs. I've been able to easily be like, oh, I know exactly what happened.
0: And you've set up already this uh, this quick method of deploying things. So once you identify where the bug is, you go, you patch it, you push, and then everybody gets the uh, build probably within an hour or so.
1: Yep, exactly. So that like super tight feedback loop um, is really, really important to um, making users happy and my opinion, I mean, they see a bug. They didn't even know that it was reported to me, but it was reported to me, and then they see a version is out next week or next, you know, the next day, and it's fixed. And it's sort of this, like, really, yeah. That's that's kind of how I'm trying to um, nurture like an early community of people and and oh, uh, help beautiful. them help them be happy. I, I can see actions on the server, like, and the client in the one long list in sequential order, so I can literally see what happened on the client that pinged, like that called something on the server and then the server returned something to the client. I see all that in one list, right? Like it's amazing. It's just, it's insane.
3: So I I was curious about what else you're using um, in terms of packages that, you know, people would recognize in the app. Cause it's kind of a slightly different sort of problem. I think building an electron app um, that's meant to be kind of long running and really doesn't play to the traditional kind of web app processes. Um, obviously these lines are super blurry these days, but you mentioned you're using uh, react router, which I think is really interesting when you think about a desktop app, that there is still actually a router running behind the scenes, um, helping it figure out what to display and how to navigate. There are a number of different kind of UI libraries that um, have been released. I'm not sure if you've used any of them or just rolled your own. Um, And then there's things like, what are you using for state management? Um, does the fact that it is a desktop app kind of change your view on that in any way? Um, you know, and, and I guess, what are you using for styling? All these kind of questions.
1: I, I definitely experience that overwhelmingness. You know, when I, when I, it's kind of easy to, to brush off people's complaints about like things being overwhelming because it's like, it's amazing that things are moving so fast. Um, which it is but like when you need to sit down and, and make a project i mean that that is a weakness of the react um ecosystem is that there just are a lot of choices um there i mean there, there's no way around it like you you can't have you can't have both you know things you can't have your cake and eat it too um i still think it's amazing i think it's worth it but it's uh yeah i had to go through a long time of just like trying out new things and i swapped out one styling system for for another one but i use uh I ended up using Glamour for the styling system and I've been meaning to look into Emotion because evidently like it's the same API and it's, you know, even, even, um, 3.1, the creator Glamour says the Emotion is cool.
0: You know what? We're actually going to have Kai uh the creator of emotion on the show in a couple weeks. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've heard good things about it as well. And from from Sunil as well. Yeah. I'm a
3: massive fan. I actually just switched um I've got a PR that I opened last night for React Select, switching from glam to emotion. Cause I've been using it on everything and I love it. (laughs)
1: It's so yeah. So I I've
3: I'm probably
1: gonna write a blog post on this at some time. I've definitely this has helped me um shape shape my opinions on on all this stuff because it's easy to talk about things when you haven't had to like go through a whole app and experience it with it um once you go through a whole app and try to do styling with like lib x or lib y um i think it's i don't know it's just it's very good to try something in a real production app um but i like i don't really even care as much about which style system i use as long as it does the optimizations um correctly but i've really grown to like the react native Style of things, which is like everything is a view, and everything takes a style prop, and the style prop is an array, um, and that's pretty much how I built my whole system. And um, I even I actually wrote my own custom Babel plugin to hoist style props in the right way because the built-in one is 't powerful enough
0: have you looked into using uh, react native web at all when you're building a product right you have a certain number of uh, dollars I think that you can spend on like experimental stuff because at the end of the day you just got to get stuff done right um, and so like you know if you're if you're like using an experimental database you've already spent basically all of your dollars uh, if you're using you know an experimental uh, UI library you spent one of your dollars right so so I, I don't expect you to be using everything but you know that when you what you just said led me to believe I maybe maybe he would like react native web
1: yeah so, um so it's actually a funny story i it it actually i actually started the app with react native web because um be, because that was around when airbnb released react primitives um and i totally bought into this idea i think i still think it's a great idea but nobody's really it needs it's going to need, need a lot of work um where you you have this primitive base of components, which is like a view and a text, and you can use it on the web and you can use it on, on iOS. And there, there's a subset of overlap of the functionality that lets you write these generic components. And I, I'm, we've got to make this work because I'm running into this problem now because I'm starting to do the mobile app. Um, and I'm like almost there cause I have the view and I have style, but like I haven't done the like real separation of semantics to like do it well. Um, but yeah, I actually started with React Native Web because like that use like React Primitives use use React Native Web on the web and then use React Native on on iOS. And I actually built a lot of the app on it. Um, I ended up running into I don't know if it's just how I was using it. I think it really wants you to use the StyleSheet.create API. Um, and I I really love just putting I know people I know some people are probably going to hate this, but I love putting styles literally inline into the component. Like when I say view style it's amazing, right? Like it's so co-located and so like right there. And it, it, it probably helps because I actually separate out my design components into its own package. Like actual design is literally a sub package of the thing. And that's where all of my, like, um, like th- it's not connected to Redux. It's not connected to any, like, they're literally just components that you can plop on a page and render. Um, and so there, that's where all of the stuff is. So it just makes sense that like. All the styling is embedded throughout all those components because those are the design components. Um, Now, in my in my real app, it's true. Like when I'm using those components and I'm hooking everything up, I do tend to like those are my like, you know, those are my controllers. Like, let's just say it. Those are like we're back to MVC. Um, But um, so it just it feels weird to like I don't really care about having the style in the component. So
3: this is this is one of my favorite things about emotion, actually, the way that you can flip in and out of you know, creating a styled component, like a primitive, um, that you're going to reuse. But then when you're in a, you know, you're just in the middle of something and you just want to add some padding or some margin and you can just drop in and stick a CSS prop on it and know that it's going to be handled by the style system the same way as everything else. Um, it's like, it's just so easy and powerful having this really clear abstraction, but they're not always being forced to use it. Yeah. Oh,
1: exactly. And, um, Glamor. I think you said, uh, did you say glam or
3: glamorous? I actually said glam. I kind of work full time on a UI library and it's using styled components. Um, I have a lot of opinions on all of these, but I've been following the whole CSS and JS things for years. And glamour was my first one I saw where I was like, man, I really like this. I feel like this just gets it right. Um, And then Sunil came out with glam and I was just in love. It was so small and so fast and is now so unsupported.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think it was like an experiment.
3: Yeah. But it really feels like emotion is kind of the successor to that. And I was digging around and found emotion next last night, which is, um, I felt very, very early adopted because it's got about 25 stars, but it's, um, right in the credits, it says it's heavily inspired by glam. And it seems like even like an experimental kind of next generation, almost doing to emotion, um, what glam did to glamor where it just pulls oh, it nice. apart and goes straight back to basics and makes it all composable
1: cool yeah i'll definitely have to check out um, emotion but yeah i mean basically just just to go back to the like i've learned a lot about all this like and i use glamour for styling i use i use react virtualized i use redux very 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 sparingly sh- shall we say um i just put like some very basic stuff that's just obviously global um i use victory for the charts and that's about it. The other stuff, I, I like to build things my own myself, to be honest. I've been doing this in a very web development-y way. Like, um, you Jed, Jed, you were kind of talking about, does a desktop make a whole lot of a difference? Um, I haven't. The only big difference is, like, storage. Like, I'm using SQLite and I'm using... The back end is where a lot of these questions are a lot harder, and I had to figure out a lot of stuff there. But for the front end, uh, I've pretty much just been doing it like a normal web app.
0: Let me ask you about one more. I just want to give you one more question. I saw something that you were uh, talking about today, and this actually may have to do with what we were just talking about with the styling and with... You know, using libraries, reusing other people's uh, other people's stuff. Uh, you tweeted this morning, you said, I will forever advocate for dangerous low-level APIs first, and then safe high-level APIs second. If you don't provide the former, you're seriously limiting your capability. Uh, and then you said, I say this as I'm forking several projects and ripping a ton of junk out that I don't need, and is only making it impossible to integrate the way that I want um, so you basically, I, I call that unwinding somebody else's abstraction, right? You're like they, they built up this sort of palace, and they said this is the way that I want to do something, and then you got there, and you were like, I hate this. I, I mean, I need that one thing that's in the middle, but uh, but the rest of this stuff I just don't need. So you have to kind of unwind that whole thing. Um, how do you how do you think about that, right, James? How do you how do you approach a problem? because I really think that this is one of the things that uh, that separates like a really great engineer from just kind of a mediocre engineer is the ability to like identify um, what the core important abstraction is. right? I think, for example, React, the component abstraction, I think uh, is one of its huge, huge strengths and, and what allows it to have such a tiny API. You know, it's got such a tiny API. You can hold the whole thing in your head um, and you don't have to always go back referring to the docs. I can't remember the last time I referred to the React docs because it's a great abstraction. It's all just right there in your head and you can hold the whole thing. Um, how do you How do you think about that? Any tips for thinking about, you know how you're going to build up an API or any kind of rules of thumb that you use for not falling into this this trap of building an abstraction that turns out to be bad?
1: It's a great question. I mean, it's abstraction. I think abstractions are just really, really hard to to get right. I think it always takes a couple iterations. Um, cause I, I don't think there's, I feel like there's very few things in the real world that we think about like this, like virtual abstraction software thing that we do. Um, it's just very non-intuitive in a way. And I think, I think if, if anything, the way we think, think about things in the world actually makes, um, it harder for us to build good abstractions. Cause I think the better abstractions usually are built in a way that's not like we think about things in the world as like it's a they're grouped by a thing like a person is made up of like hands and feet. Um, but you don't build a person. Right. It's better. The, the abstractions are better if you have like a whole bin full of feet. And this is getting really morbid and weird.
0: <laughs> well, let's talk about let's talk about building a house or a okay. sandwich. Or something like <laughs> yeah. that <right? laughs> Yeah. Yeah. If you want to build a house, you don't have to go and purchase a lumber mill right. just so that you can burn out all of the wood that you're eventually going to need to build the house, right? You could just go and buy the lumber, right? You don't, you don't need to sort of create this abstract representation of a, of a house before you can just go and build, build it, you know? I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it.
1: What I was trying to say is um, there's a big, big difference between building a library and an app. And I think when you're a library, you need to be very, very careful about all this stuff. And I think you should provide something that's as, like, generic as you feel comfortable doing. And it should kind of be grouped by by technology um, that makes sense. Like, don't – just like we were saying before, don't provide, like, like, a mini house that's, like, pretty and it's a full house, but it's small, you know, because you only had so much time. Like, focus on one thing and make it great um, and, pro- and provide somebody the ability to go build a house Um but like when, when I'm doing this app, I'm very rigorous about like my abstraction can can be I am building the house. And so I'm but I want it to be the best house possible. And so I will go and I will I will fork a project easily and, and rip it to shreds and just take the things that I need out of it. And like and I will maintain that and I'm fine with that. And so there's two there's kind of two different mindsets. And but the abstractions for that need to be very driven by the practicality and like the way that the app actually needs to work. Um, but, also, but also the vision, right? Because I'm going to be developing a mobile app and a desktop app, and I'm going to share like 90% of the code between them. And that required foresight from the very beginning to architect things in a way that could work in that way, if that makes sense.
2: Without throwing any projects under the bus, um, is there a good example of something that you had to kind of rip apart and rebuild up or unwind a certain abstraction um, in building actual.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Um, that's what I did today. Um, and that I mean, that's what that tweet came from. Um, <laughs> it was React Native, React Native SQLite storage. And I'm still I'm still just so surprised that there's not a solid SQLite um, interface for React Native, because what what that basically what that project does was it tries to provide a Web SQL interface to it but like um if you look at the code i don't i'm not gonna i'm not saying the code is terrible but it 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 is pretty messy um and there's just like i like to look at code and, and feel like i can kind of read it from top to bottom and understand what it's doing and it's hard to do that with that and i was i was just getting some weird errors when i was trying to use it i was like i'm not gonna rip this apart i don't have time for this um but i just couldn't get it to work um and so i forked it and i like stripped everything like it basically like allowed um you to have multiple open database connections at the same time, and it had all this crazy transaction support, which I need only simple transaction support. It was trying to support all these things that I don't need, and therefore making everything way much more complicated. Um, it had a really weird scheme for specifying where the database was located; like it didn't just take a path for some reason. So I, you know, and that's a great example that that like open the database file function you used to be like three, like two, 200 lines long of like really weird, hard to read code. Um, my version is like 10 lines long and it, and it works like I couldn't even really get the other one to work.
0: What you just said, actually, James, I think is a huge red flag for when you are building up a bad abstraction, right, is that it gets very, very long. You know, and I I, I kind of look at my methods that get really really long, and I think, I mean, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're necessary, whatever. But, um, you know, if 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 I've got a super long method and all it takes is like an options hash, like it doesn't even have real arguments, <laughs> I I tend to I tend to look at that thing with the side eye and go, uh, you're probably not what we need here. You know, I probably just needed to like get to the point, stop providing so many options. You know, because, uh, you know, like you could imagine a database connection library could have, well, you could specify a string or you can specify all the different, you know, part, pre-parse the URL to this thing. Or you can specify, you know, a, a, a full, fully qualified URL or, or whatever you
1: want. Yeah. And I mean, I think the real interesting thing for, for me, at least uh, from this example, is that it has all this tran- transaction support uh, built into it, which wasn't really work. It One, it didn't work the way that I wanted it to. Um, but I actually need the same, I, I, I need the exact same transaction semantics on the desktop and in React Native. And so what's interesting about this is like, I actually want to control the transaction support. I'm, I'm going to implement it in JavaScript in my layer on top that's running both of them. So that that's kind of where my tweet was saying, was like, just give me the freaking SQLite connection and don't even implement transactions because I'm going to do that. Because I need it in both places, right? I think developers, I don't know. I, I I like to build software that is just like not tied down to even like React Native. Just like if you're gonna build something tied to React Native, provide the one thing and then build like some generic thing on top of that, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, I think it makes total sense. Do you do you have I guess for for someone who's like starting a library right now, like so let's say they have like a high level need um need and then they're gonna like build this thing and publish it. Um, I mean, do you recommend that they kind of figure all of that out before publishing it or um, just be like more mindful of it? Like, what would you like to what would you have liked to see in this particular project or projects like it?
1: Like if you're writing a a SQLite library for because React Native requires a SQLite um, library because it's abstracted away from the host um, from like the Swift and the Objective-C platform, right? So you, you literally, and it actually, it's even a different process. It needs to talk over a bridge. And so that's just some complex stuff that you don't want to write from scratch, right? So you, so you want to use a library to, to access uh, SQLite. But what I would like to see normally is like, let me feel like I'm just using the SQLite APIs straight up from JavaScript so that i have sqlite in react native that would be sqlite in react native to me as i have the sqlite apis don't don't try to build an entire database abstraction yourself on top of sqlite like that's you're going five steps in the wrong direction and that's i'm going to have to take 10 steps and you know um in the other direction so just if you're going to do one thing like that, just like provide what it should be. Um, but then, you know, if you're interested in building a database abstraction, do it in a way that's like database agnostic um, or at least platform agnostic so that it could work with better SQLite, which which is Node's SQLite thing. You could build a transaction library on top of that, which does cool things. Um, then you can like use it both in Node and React Native. So just sort of, that's that's kind of what I meant by like picking your, grouping your, your efforts into technology and, um, where some are like very bound down to a platform, and if that's the case, I, I like just low level API, um, APIs. But then, in, in in other cases, focus on like you want to implement transaction semantics, and that's interesting. That should be a different. That should be in a different place.
2: Sure, it feels like maybe they put two things in the same in the same project. Yeah, because
1: and I it, that literally won't work for me because I need the other thing in desktop, which is a completely different environment. All of this though is super hard to get right. I mean. Um, you need to make these decisions like 10 times on a daily basis. And, you know, I, I don't mean to like rant too much about one specific project because I'm sure I make all these decisions on a different project in the wrong way as well. Um, but yeah, just I don't know, just kind of it takes experience too. like you'll you'll get better as you're working more and more. Don't take this too much as you need to do the right thing at the beginning either. Definitely just like if you're trying to figure out what, like how to do something, if you're stuck, you should just do something that will get you going and help you learn more about what the right thing should be. Sometimes you just need to have a bad abstraction to even learn how it should be separated later too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. We uh we learned this kind of the hard way through uh, early versions of React Router when we we were building uh, you know it, it, before we got to a good abstraction we had to basically go through a whole you know slew of bad ones uh, before we figured out where we wanted to be so sometimes you just kind of have to to learn from experience and and as you adapt the code to different situations then you'll see where your abstraction kind of breaks down
3: i've found recently i'm using monorepos more and more and it really helps me get my head around where to put the abstraction layers i can build up these kind of basic packages and make them usable by the rest of whatever it is that I'm building. And it helps me think through where the kind of boundaries of different modules of my system are, and really forces me to consider kind of the interface for each of them. Um, You know, because I end up building really small packages, even though they're all designed to work together. And I know even um, React Router Implements has since version four been implementing a monorepo, not like You know, there's only four packages in it last time I looked, but it does sort of seem to help with that boundary concept. And James, you mentioned sort of right back at the start that you're putting all of your library uh, code or your UI code in a separate package. And I was wondering if you were actually doing something similar, even within an Electron app.
1: Yes, I actually use, um, I still use Lerna. Um, I've been meaning to migrate to Yarn workspaces because that came out um, I, I used Lerna before WorkSpaces was available, but yeah, it's great. I mean, I don't, so I'm a little bit more like the case you just said, where it's um, like four, four packages, but it's, it's um, you don't want to develop an entire app literally as, as one big repo. Like you want to separate out at least into some things. Um, so, but I, I think you're right. Totally. Like, I think it helps like when you want to separate something out um, using a minor repo and something like Lerna to, to make it easy to separate out. Um, is great because it encourages you to uh, separate things out and I think that can be a really good thing Um, I I don't separate out like a whole lot except for just like I have my design system separated out mainly because um, I can actually run in like that's a great react app as well so I can actually do npm start and actually see a whole design system in the browser so it basically finds all of my components and it mounts them all on one page um, and every single component that's mounted has Hot module reloading on it. But although it's it's not true hot module reloading, it's it uh each one is like a, each one is its own React.render, right? So it's actually like multiple routes. Um, and I watch I tell Webpack to watch the files and when something changes, I just blow away completely blow away. I un, I think I literally call React.unmount component at that place and then I remount it. So it, it loses the state, but because of their individual components like so small, you know, so small and like piecemealed. Um, I don't really care. Like, I can still develop a dropdown. Um, I, I even have, like, all of my modals. Like, you can just scroll past, like, 15 modals all on one page. Um, and that's how I develop my, my UI. It's like its own little separate ecosystem. Um, and then I can pull in all of those components in into the main app. But, yeah, that, that's just, like, an a actual design sub-package. Sub
0: I was curious about that. I haven't actually ever used React Storybook, but I, I know a lot of people have, and it seems like it'd be the, for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, the thing I don't like about it, I mean... It's cool. I, I like um, I had another tweet about this, which the thing I don't like about Storybook is it forces you to use all these like special APIs like storybook, like add story and all that stuff. Um, and I just I like to see all of the components at once. I don't know if I'm unusual in that, but like when when I'm talking about all of my components are mounted on one page, like they're literally all mounted on one page. I can scroll through my entire app. In one really long page in like twenty seconds.
0: Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with with preferring things that way. I was just wondering if uh, if you had, if you had used it. I, I've never used either of them, uh, or, or I've, I've never actually you know tried to visualize my whole UI library on, on a single page like that. I think that's an interesting approach, though. I think I've definitely. Uh, I'll definitely try that out with this other app that I'm building.
2: I'm like agreeing with James on like all his opinions. The, uh, <laughs> okay, the cool. like the Node.jsx, we've talked about that before. The like, just put the style in the style prop. The style prop is like the best API for style. And then just show me all the, show me all the library stuff on one page. Hey, we, we only have smart people on the React podcast
0: here,
3: Michael. I'm going to, I'm going to pitch in something different than, uh, just by the way, on monorepo tooling, um, check out a, a project called Bolt, um, Vaultpkg.com. That's something that the team that I'm working with at seen on their UI library developed. Um, James Kyle actually has been kind of leading that based on all the things he learned about Learner and wished kind of could be done differently if he rebooted the project. And then that happened. It's, I think, loosely based on the spec for Yarn's workspaces as well, but it is it's kind of like everything I ever wanted in a monorepo package manager and like nothing I didn't. Um, it's made it much much easier for me to get my head around using monorepos everywhere whereas previously it kind of felt like a little bit more intimidating and hard to kind of get set up the right way and know how to use cool
0: hey james before you go um i just wanted to know you know if you had any kind of anybody that you wanted to give like a shout out to or anybody that you kind of wanted to recognize uh you know who's doing some awesome work in the react community anybody you wanted to thank um, and, uh, and then definitely give you a chance to pitch, uh, actual one more time and tell us how we can support you.
1: Um, man, I feel like I've been so heads down. Um, I'm not even sure what's going on in the re- community right now, to be honest. Um, if I was to say thanks to anybody, um, there's, there's one user, um, Nikita of actual, who's been like, who's like excited about it, giving me feedback like every day, um, and so I don't know if you're going to listen to this, but I just want to say you're awesome because like um, it's just cool to have like a user, you know, like, like other, I've gotten a lot of downloads. Like I got like 500 downloads the first day, but I think a lot of people, you know, tried it out and was like, Oh, that's cool. And then, but they're not using it. Um, so I just want to give a shout out to Nikita because I think, yeah, that's um, awesome. yeah, I don't know. It's just cool. Thanks for all the feedback. Um, wait, I actually do have one, one person that I want to thank. I have to thank Kent C. Dodds. I have to thank him. I have to thank him because he made React Testing Library and I've already tweeted about this the other day and I did a live stream about it. But React Testing Library is literally the coolest testing library out there right now. I mean, there's like a ton of other work that I, that I definitely should should thank for. I'm, I'm definitely building this on, on a lot of other people's work. If you want to download Actual, go to actualbudget.com slash beta. It's a very rough site right now. It's kind of, um, it's not, you know, I'm not even linking that in a lot of places. I'll have a more public launch soon. But if you're if you're listening to this and interested and want to see what's what's uh, what it's all about, you can go to actualbudget.com slash beta and give it a spin. Hopefully, it will help your finances be easier to figure out.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, James, I've learned so much from you. I've learned again from you today. Thank you so much for coming on to the React podcast. Uh, thank you also to Michael Chan and Jed Watson for co-hosting uh, this episode with me here today. And uh, we will see you again on the React podcast next time.